Welcome to Best Friend Simulator, a quality hangout in podcast form with your simulated best friends, Josh and Dennis. You want to try that one more time? One one thousand. One one thousand. No. Hi, everybody. This is Best Friend Simulator. I'm Josh. I'm Dennis. That's our... We did our little count. There's a little behind-the-scenes yeah, magic Yeah, very there. magical, though. We kind of fucked it up today. Everybody's been wondering, hey, how do you guys start the podcast? And oh, now shit. you found out. Yeah, and we can't countdown. even count right. <laughs> Fuck-ups. <laughs> it's fine, man. I do the, the magic behind-the-scenes. It makes it sound like butter. <laughs> I knew you were going to say butter. Butter coming in your ears. I'm sorry? Hi. What? <laughs> but why would it in your ear? Anyway, uh, what's going on today? Man, I'm tired and I don't have anything clever to say about it. You know, I, I feel like we've had this uh, <laughs> segment on this podcast before. Oh, the, I'm real tired today. We're old and tired oh, segment. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, uh, back-breaking labor. Uh, uh, real tough. We got to do a lot. We're always working out. Uh, I've been working out. I'm getting swole. Getting swollen ankles. I got this. Is that like, what that means? <laughs> I think so. I got this uh, mummy rot in my arm. That's not swole. I got a... Hey, hey, dog, get out of it. Get out of it. Hey. Get out of it. Thank you. Behind the scenes. Okay, we're back. What else do you have other than mummy rot? Uh, uh, I, have a pod- I have a podcast I'm doing with you here right now. Oh, you trying to say this is like hurting your life? Yeah, I could be drinking my Dr. Zevia right now. Which is your fake ass, fake sugar Dr. Pepper. It's got stevia. It's got zero calories. And it doesn't make me... Want to vomit, so I drink it. And it has caffeine. That's important. At least Zevia went to med school, you know what I'm saying? Huh? Yeah, exactly. He's not, like, master Zevia. Yo, I was thinking about something, right? Okay. So, I I had a drive to the mall today. Oh, so thirsty. I was so thirsty, right? And Sorry. Then, like, you watch, like, Die Hard and shit. That dude goes all up and down Nakatomi Plaza shooting dudes. Doesn't drink water once. That's how you know it's not real. I sit in a car for, like, 22 minutes and i'm like feel like i'm crawling across the desert did he have to pee pee or poo poo at any point you think um i think he had to urinate but he never had a pee pee tomato tomato um i don't remember him pee peeing out of his wee wee in that movie he made poo poo out of his boo boo though right no definitely not there was no part in die hard one through seven he said oh i'm getting too old for this shit and made poo poo out of his boo boo do you really call your butt boo-boo? Yeah. You You're don't cr- call yours that? No. Thanks. This has been another installment <laughs> of Josh's Butt Talk. Yeah, this seems to be happening in every episode. Well, what do you what do you want me to talk about then? Not any literally a million other topics. In fact, okay. Civil War. What did those those guys do with their butts in the war? 
No one's asking that question. I know. That's why it needs to be asked. You ask the hard questions. Yeah. We're going to bring that hard-hitting journalism. Oh, yeah. Just like... No. (laughs) Don't start making really obscure Philadelphia-only news references because we were just talking about it before we started recording. Okay, okay. I'll cut that out. I mean, you don't have to cut it out, but it's just, I want to try to divert us from going down a very obscure path. I mean, I I feel like I am basically making this podcast for you and me, which I think we talked about last episode. Right, right, right. (laughs) Which is why we would make a Dave Schratweiser reference. But I'm a little disappointed that we're now seven, eight years into you living in Seattle. Yeah. And you know no Seattle reporters. It's not the same, man. Like, think about how... Jamie and Jen would be so excited to hear you drop a local Seattle investigative reporter reference. I know about local businesses. Beacon Plumbing. Quit freaking call Beacon. Hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe I don't want you to make any references at all, other than the ones I understand. It's it wouldn't be as fun. Oh yeah, so uh, thirsty, but I'm not thirsty anymore. Alright, that's the end of that. Um I'm sorry that happened to you. It's okay. That sounds rough. I need to prepare by bringing water everywhere I go. I'm thirsty boy. So anyway, uh, I was gonna say since Dennis thinks I talk about butts too much, particularly mine, I guess uh, we wanted to hit up the listeners here and say, hey, do you guys have topics you would like for us to discuss? Yeah, we're totally out, and hit- we need help. I'm kidding. We could come up with shit to talk about all goddamn day long. But we were wondering, especially with the paranormal stuff, we were wondering if you had a, a spooky thing that you would like us to discuss. Or my butt. couple things we have. Per- we, uh, no. See, I'm just going to glance right over at you talking about your butt. If somebody writes in and says, you know, I really wonder, like, what's up with Josh's butt? Then, okay, then maybe. And here he comes. Here's when we finally get the emails. But in the new year... We're working on a couple of things. First of all, we're going to do some uh, gaming-related podcasts. Ooh, that's right. So we're going to do like the music podcast with our friend Alan, but we're going to bring in our friend Jim and talk about games, different kind of tabletop games. And then um, we got a couple... We're doing, look, working on a series. And then um, uh, at some point, I was going to finally work on uh, some Bigfoot stuff. So I would be very excited to. for that, for sure. I think I, I, think I got to do it. Yeah, I think you do, indeed. And also, while I'm in Seattle, I think we should definitely watch that documentary that uh, looked pretty terrible. Yes, the Sylvanic Bigfoot. Oh, the music was just so dramatic in the trailer. I really want to see what happens. So this is a, a, a gentleman in Canada whose name escapes me right now who has a bunch of footage, and that's uh-huh. in quotes, of Bigfoot. That's also right. in quotes. Well, the footage uh-huh. is real, but the Bigfoot... And it, it just looks crazy. But the the music in this promo is like fucking Skyrim fight music. Like, it's so dramatic and exciting. Over the top. Yeah, like way over the top. So I think we're definitely going to watch that. So maybe we should discuss that on the podcast when it happens. And I think for your birthday next year, as soon as I can uh, cobble together $5,000, we're going to go on one of these expeditions with that dude. Yeah, dog. Five grand. I mean, that's reasonable. If you find and are able to make out with Bigfoot, that's reasonable. Just to go out and meet the people of the forest? I'm sorry? The people of the forest. Like mountain men? 
No, dog. That's what they call Sasquatch. You're the Sasquatch guy. Don't you know that? What did you just say? The people... Did you call him, you call him Sus- Sasquatch? That's what we call him out here in, in the PNW. Like, <laughs> nobody says that. They do. <laughs> oh, God, really? <laughs> you say Sasquatch like suspect, but he's a Sasquatch. I thought I said Sasquatch. Uh, I, I think this uh, this Doctor Zevia has got my pipes kind of clogged up here or something. Yeah, you've been you know you got to do some vocal exercises before we uh, before we do this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> you're not yes ending, Josh. You're not yes ending. <laughs> oh, do you want me to do them now? I don't. <laughs> no, what do I do with no. that? Never mind. Don't worry about it. Me we'll me 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 later. me. There you go. No, I was going to say, I have a few topics that I'm probably going to bring to Josh's insert whatever thing I come up with at the time here. Uh... <laughs> and you know I'm just going to keep doing it because it upsets Dennis. Uh, no, I, I want to talk about gang stalking. I want to talk about the Montauk Project. I want to talk Ooh. about Ong's hat. There's a particular alien abduction scenario uh out of new york that i really want to talk about too so that's all in the works starting to put together some research on that so we got some exciting things in store you know i love me some montauk project dude it's good i feel like that could wind up being a a multi-part series speaking of which here's a little bit more behind the scenes What, what do we call this segment behind the scenes with best friend simulator best friend simulator behind the scenes that's it best friend simulator Behind the scenes. You got it. I got it. So we just recorded uh, our discussion of the National Forest Disappearances all in one take. So we're going to be adding that on here. And that discussion went pretty long. So we're going to cut this part a little bit short, I think, just to make room for that. Dude, we didn't even have to tell them that. We could have just been like... Oh yeah, let's keep talking about that, and then played a little like doo 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 flute music, and then they wouldn't have even known. And now you ruined it. Nah. They would have known by the flute music. They would have just thought we were we were um making pee pee from our wee wees. Can you cut that out? Poo poo from our boo boos. No, god damn it! <laughs> we have totally gone lowest common denominator. <laughs> We weren't supposed to. Also, behind the scenes, uh, one of our close friends, you and I both consider this person to be a very close friend, said, I really like it when you guys exasperate each other. And I was like, you're only listening to this to see what we get mad at each other so then you can laugh about it. That's fucked up. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're laying bare our friendship here for all these nice people to enjoy. They're not all nice. Oh, that's rude. They're all nice. If they listen to our podcast, they're nice. What about those people that we don't know that listen to it? We don't know if they're nice. Ooh, the person in Great Britain that listens to us. Or the UK, Maybe. I should say. Maybe. Hey, re- talk, reach out to us, person over across the pond. Yeah, it's only one. It's only one. Unless It's got to be one person. It's only one person, but maybe they're using a thing to bounce their signals all across the world. So nobody knows where they're really from. What? Their signal, their um, their their frequency, their fr- their technological, yeah, their technological signal. Oh yeah, that. Uh huh. Their Wi-Fi. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some some people bounce it around so you can't tell where they are, so they can download illegal shit. I don't know anything about this. Anyway, so here's part two of Josh's disturbing disappearances. Okay, so we're back with part two of our series on mysterious disappearances in national parks and David Politis and missing 411. Uh, so we mentioned that I wanted to get into some of the cases, and I think that's the, the fascinating thing here. Uh, so these missing 411 books are all just collections of cases. It's like one after another with a little bit of kind of editorializing from Politis, like case summaries and stuff. Uh, but it's mostly just lists. So some of the more high-profile ones, and there was a documentary that was released earlier this year called Missing 411, which was okay. It wasn't as comprehensive as I wanted it to be. It kind of focused on just a handful of cases. Like the weirder ones? Just a couple of the... I, I think a couple of the ones I'm about to talk about were featured on that. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely some weirdness in them. But it's, you know, it's just something I, I wish... I kind of wanted it to be a little better, like a to be a little more wider reaching than this, where mm, it was like gotcha. a little more laser focused on things. Uh, so the first one I want to talk about is the disappearance of a little kid named Jared Adadero. Uh, he was a three-year-old boy who went missing from Comanche Peak Wilderness in Colorado in October of 1999. His father owned a resort that was hosting a Christian singles excursion, which sounds like a fun time for me. Mm-hmm. And he took them to the Big South Trail near the Podre River. Jared and his six-year-old sister apparently joined the group and went off with them without the dad. I don't, that seems kind of a weird thing to me. So Jared was, he was three years old, keep in mind. He was running ahead on the trail and was hiding in the bushes and kept jumping out at people as they walked by to scare them, which, you know, is probably a cute thing. This... The picture of him is pretty cute. He looked like a cute kid. So what happened is pretty sad. But after a mile and a half or like 20 minutes or so, the person who was kind of put in charge of keeping an eye on him noticed that he wasn't around. Uh, So after a little while, they looked for him. They called his dad. And then they contacted the Larimer County Sheriff's Office, the U.S. Forest Service, and other law enforcement agencies. So they got search parties out there pretty quickly. Search parties, or some searchers spoke to two fishermen who said that they saw the little kid walk by them uh, while they were fishing on the river. And the little kid approached them and asked if there were bears in the woods. And the fishermen said no. And for some reason, they didn't think much of a three-year-old kid just walking down the trail by himself and didn't like tell anybody about it or anything, which is kind of weird to me. So no tracks were found of the kid and dogs could not find his scent, which is, you know, one of the, the things I mentioned last episode. An Air Force helicopter crashed during the search, which has no connection to it, but Politis included it, which is another weird thing about a lot of these cases. He throws in a lot of extraneous details, so I feel like he's kind of casting a wide net. So they looked for, I don't know, I don't remember how long they looked. Normally it's a span of like a few weeks to a month before they kind of often will give up on the searches, like the big organized searches. Uh, but they eventually called it off because uh, inclement weather was due because it was right near winter. And the FBI was not interested in, in pursuing the case because they thought that there was a quote unquote very slim chance the child was abducted. So four years later, some hikers in the area came across pieces of clothing found in the area of the disappearance Mm -hmm. Uh, they found a pair of pants that were turned inside out one leg one leg was torn off a pair of sneakers that 
Politis and Adadeo's father says looked really clean, like surprisingly clean for sneakers that had been out in the inclement weather for four years. Yeah, that's strange. Yeah. So, and they found a torn coat. And then his father confirmed that these were indeed the clothes Jared was wearing when he went missing. These clothes were found 550 feet up the trail from where Jared was last seen, but it was up an extremely steep hillside. And the sheriff stated that the clothes didn't appear to have any blood on them when they were found. So they went back out to the site after getting these clothes and investigators found about 150 feet away from the site of the the clothing, the top of a child's skull and a single tooth. And also there were some hairs found on the jacket, if I recall correctly, that didn't belong to a human being. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, they didn't look into that, or that's what Politis claims at least. And the DNA evidence confirmed that the remains were Jared's, but it wasn't a complete confirmation because they said it seemed contaminated and there was like some other DNA, like human DNA mixed in with it, which again is one of those things that I feel like there might be a more mundane explanation. Politis Mm -hmm. hints that it seems strange, but it's also kind of, I don't know. So that's one of the bigger, more high-profile ones. I think the official story is people do believe he was eaten by a cougar because there are a lot of those in the area. And this is like a little kid, a three-year-old, you know. But there are things, you know, if all this is true, it's it's interesting that the clothing wasn't destroyed. I, I did read some really interesting weird shit because there's, I mean, there's like a, a whole Reddit, a subreddit devoted to this where people are discussing the cases and stuff and... Somebody has an idea that these are large birds of prey, like eagles or something. Yeah, that's what it sounded like when you were talking about it. Yeah. Like, they, they said that, you know, if if an eagle grabbed him by the leg and had him by the pants, that could explain why the pants got turned inside out, because he fell. But, yeah, it's, it's unknown to this point still. Uh, his father thinks that he was abducted. There was a news report uh, of a park ranger at another park not too far away from there, who thinks he saw a kid with a man a day later after he went missing at like a Hmm. a very, a separate park. But that's just, there was like a news report. I watched the interview, but it doesn't go beyond that. So that's one of the interesting, one of the interesting cases. There's another one that this one always kind of stood out to me. I think this one, I don't remember if this one was covered in the documentary or or if I saw like a short about it or something. Uh, This is the case of a, of a kid named Sammy Belky. Yeah, let's say Belky. Great. He, he was an eight-year-old autistic boy who disappeared at Crater Lake National Park, Oregon, on October of 2016. He and his father were staying at a nearby lodge and went out for the afternoon to explore Crater Lake. They stopped at a parking area, and Sammy, who was a bit rambunctious, got out of the car and ran across the road to look at a large rock formation. He ran around a small mound, over a small crest, and then went over the top of a small hill. And his dad finally caught up to him and said that Sammy was gone. There was a wooded area directly in front of him. The dad yelled for a while to try to find the kid. He said that Sammy liked to like run and hide from him and that was the game they played. He would chase him and stuff. But he said after a while, he started to panic because the kid was gone. Mm. So he searched for a while, like, you know, ran into the woods, looking around, yelling for him. And he tried calling 911, couldn't get a signal on his phone because it was in kind of a remote location and wound up flagging down a couple of cars until someone was able to get through. Uh, So they called a park representative, showed up about 30 minutes after the disappearance. And they called in for more rangers. They had dozens more out within a few hours. However, a storm hit later that night. 
which hampered the search. And again, Politis points out there's a lot of cases of inclement weather coming in right after these disappearances. And then the following day, it was extremely misty, which also made it really hard to look. And the only thing that they found after searching for a while was a set of small footprints on a nearby hill, but nothing else turned up otherwise. So about a month later, a report was released by the Jackson County Sheriff's Office outlining a search conducted by a canine and a tandler. And the report claims that there was a peculiar response from the dog. When they finally got it out and gave it the scent of Sammy, instead of following the scent to where Sammy's dad said that Sammy went across the street, he stayed in the parking lot and went to the opposite side of it to a rock wall right near the lake. And the dog jumped up and put its paws on the wall and just kept barking at the lake and wasn't interested in going across the street, which is weird. Somewhat, yeah. Hmm. And that's it. They found nothing, no sign of him at all. The kid, it seems like, just kind of vanished into thin air. So here's, there's another one in this. Uh, I'll get into some discrepancies at the at the very end here. But this is the case of a, a boy named Dennis Martin, uh, who was a six-year-old who went missing in June 1964 from Great Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee. He was playing hide-and-seek with some other kids in the park, uh, and his parents were right nearby. He went and hid behind a bush that was right off of the Appalachian Trail and just disappeared. Uh, after searching around for a few hours, his parents called the park rangers. All they found was a single shoe and sock, and then immediate, like, he- and heavy rains came down kind of immediately afterwards and made it a lot harder to find. And then I think it was abandoned after 15 days. And there's a few strange factors to this case that Politis talks about a lot. The first one is a, is a thing that I'll discuss, but he says that Green Berets mysteriously appeared on the scene with no record of, of anybody calling them or anything. And they came and set up their own base camp, set up their own communication systems and refused to work alongside the search groups, like the people that work there and stuff. And then there was another thing that Politis talks about a lot. And this is the, the kind of creepy, interesting, weird part of this case. There was a family not too far away from the area that claims that they heard a piercing scream and then looked up and the little kid pointed up to this hillside and said it looked like there was a bear climbing up the hill. When the kid's parents looked up, they realized that it looked like a grown man hiding behind some bushes up this hillside and realized that it looked like it was carrying something, maybe like a child or something. But sounds like Bigfoot. Definitely sounds like Bigfoot to me. But yeah, that was it for Dennis Martin. Politis did say that some of the people he talked to were convinced that in the Smoky Mountain National Park, there are a number of wild men that live out there. Not as in mm-hmm. like Bigfoot, but like crazy mountain, mountain dudes. Men. Yeah. Who wear like furs and shit. And I don't know, maybe just speculating here are like cannibals or something and steal little kids. So there's another one uh, that I came across in the book that I'm pretty interested in. Uh, this one is really weird and maybe not in a paranormal way, just kind of like a, what the fuck is going on here? And I can't find any information to back it up at all. So it, like I, I found the information about the case, but nothing else. Uh, this is the case of a 16 year old girl named Teresa beer who went camping with her 43 year old neighbor, Russell Welch in the Sierra national forest in California in 1986 which is kind of weird that this is a 16-year-old girl going camping with a 43-year-old. It was her neighbor, 
And apparently her parents had given them permission. Now, she went because Welch was a self-proclaimed Bigfoot expert, which, as you remember, back in the late 80s, Bigfoot was pretty huge back then. This is like the height of like Harry and the Hendersons Mm -hmm. and shit. So this guy said he was going to take her on a Bigfoot hunt. He returned later, like a day or two later, without her, claiming she was abducted by a tribe of Bigfoot. Search parties found nothing in the area, and Welch was held for some time by police, but eventually released. And that was Politis' information that he presents in the Missing 411 Western United States edition. I did some supplemental research on this because it was so fucking weird and dug into this. Apparently, Welch initially claimed that Beer ran away from him in the woods and then disappeared, but then he switched his story to the, the, the Bigfoot abduction claim. He was initially charged with child stealing. Just before he went to trial, they made a plea bargain deal with him and said, look, we'll let you do one year of time if you sign a waiver that say you're eligible to go to trial if we do find a body. He refused that. And then I think the prosecutor felt like they didn't have enough evidence. It was pretty flimsy and they didn't want to risk the kind of double jeopardy, double indemnity. Um, they didn't want to, Jeopardy. yeah, they didn't want to try him with flimsy evidence in case something did turn up later, but nothing happened. He, so he got off and they didn't prosecute or anything. He, from what I understand has died since then. So there's, there's no information about it. Some of the information I came across did list beer as a suspected victim of a serial killer duo who were active in California between 1984 and 1999 called the Speed Freak Killers. Who I'm into these people. They're just just the name. I mean, they're nasty meth heads who killed people often for mm. drugs. Yeah, they I I I hadn't heard of them and I looked them up and it was a pretty interesting case. Beer, I think they were suspected to have killed at most I think they think they killed like 75 people. But shit. They were prosecuted I think for only four or five cases. Uh, one of the guys got paroled because he gave up a bunch of evidence. And he got out after 14 years and then killed himself. And one of the guys, I think, is still in jail to this day. Damn. So, yeah, so those were some of the, the cases that kind of stood out to me. But there are also a couple of other ones that were, like, really weird cases. And these are a lot of, like, older ones, a lot of weird just secondhand knowledge that was passed on. Uh, so some of the stuff I wanted to talk about, there's a couple of cases that have a weird symmetry. Uh in 1868, according to records, Politis found a three-year-old girl went missing from her father's lumber camp in northern Michigan. Uh, witnesses claim they saw her being carried off by a bear that was holding her with one arm and walking on three legs. Uh, that girl was found later, like a day or two later, and claimed that the bear, who she called Mr. Wolf, took care of her while she was away, like cuddled with her and kept her warm. He ate the hat off of her head and fed her berries, which okay. is weird. And then... So, Pilatus also found another case from 1955 of a two-year-old girl who was seen being carried off by a bear from a lumber camp in Montana. She was found a couple of days later in a a crudely built shelter across the river from where she was taken, and she had a memory of a bear caring for her. Hmm. And, yeah, so these are just, like, weird things. I I don't know if these were in books or not, but these I found in interviews that he gave on some podcasts and stuff. Do bears do that to people? Like, take care of children if they find them in the wild? And talk to them and say that their name is Mr. Wolf? Oh, I thought the the girl 
just named the bear Mr. Wolf. Oh, I don't, I, it, it seemed like he talked to her, according to her story. Oh. And again, these are stories from, different. that first story is from 1868, and the second one was from 1955, and the little girls were three years old and two years old, respectively, so. Ah, that's old enough to know bears don't talk to you. Yeah. Uh, there was another cool old account that I found from 1897 that Politis mentioned uh, in an interview where a six-year-old girl went missing while blueberry picking in Maine. She was gone for 46 hours and claimed that the whole time she was missing, the sun was out, which was kind of creepy and weird. There's another case. Uh, this is a more recent one from 2010. Uh, a little boy went missing in Mount Shasta in California, which I think is also supposed to be a hub for paranormal sightings and UFO, like new agey stuff. This little kid went missing, but then was found in a thicket five hours afterwards. He claimed, and again, he was three at the time. And it, these, this seems pretty young to me to have like detailed memories of things. But he was, he remembers being taken by a woman that he thought was his grandmother and then later realized wasn't because there was a weird light coming from her head. She took him to a cave that was full of inactive human looking robots and there were a bunch of small, dusty guns and purses laying around. Uh, the fake grandmother tried to make him poop on a sticky piece of paper. And then he passed out and then was found in the thicket. Kids say the darndest things. They sure do. And then I have one more just really weird one. And this one is very interesting to me. It's the story of a, a guy named Stephen Kubaki, who was a student in 1978, who was studying German, which is another... Politis link, uh, people of mm -hmm. German descent seem to go missing. He disappeared on the beach of Lake Michigan in the Great Lakes Triangle after saying he was going cross-country skiing. They found all of his gear, his skis, his pack and everything, but he was just gone. He disappeared off the face of the earth. He showed up 15 months later, approximately 40 miles away from where his father lived, I think out in like Vermont or something. Uh, which was a total of 700 miles, miles away from where he initially disappeared, wearing clothes that weren't his and a satchel of maps on, and on his side that he said were not his. He said he didn't remember anything about being gone. And he told reporters that talked to him that he didn't go see a therapist or anything because he felt he didn't have any psychological problems. Now, the, the really fucking interesting thing about this case, Politis said he reached out to him but didn't hear anything back, which... Politis, I feel like, kind of twisted this to be like the guy refused to talk about it. But the interesting thing about this is so I did a little bit of digging to find out about this guy. He went back to school and got a master's degree in linguistics and then got a PhD in clinical psychology. But I looked this dude up and he is a practicing therapist in Seattle. He's got to be your new therapist. You know, I was thinking about it. I'm actually thinking about getting a therapist or, or going to see somebody. Uh, and this guy specializes in ADHD stuff, too. So I was discussing this with Jamie today. Like, what if I went in, right? And I was talking. I was like, yeah, Doc, you know, like, I feel like I've just been missing time lately. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Maybe. There's no way he's going to say, <laughs> actually, it has. Yeah, man, you know. You should bring in a satchel of maps. Yeah. And I found oh, these the other day, too. Dude, what a, these aren't mine. These clothes aren't mine. So yeah, so those were some of the weirder cases, and there's there's a lot of information out there. Uh, Politis has done a shit ton of interviews. If you just get on YouTube and look up Missing 411 or David Politis, you will find hours and hours and hours of stuff 
to listen to. So it's pretty interesting. Now, there are a few things about Politis that I find kind of sketchy, I would say. Okay. One, I will say, dude is clearly doing some work. Like I said, like all of these cases are based on factual information that's out there. You know, like you, you can you can Google most of these cases and it'll turn up news articles and things that don't just go back to Politis talking about it. So he is digging up information. But I kind of feel like he is maybe cherry picking data, misinterpreting facts a lot of the time. You know, like the, the inclement weather thing, I feel like he always makes a big deal talking about how after these disappearances happen, the, this terrible weather happens. But I think there might be a correlation the opposite way in that these people are never found because a fucking snowstorm comes in right after they go missing, you know? So there's a lot of things like that that I've come across that he's talking about that just seems like, oh, I mean, clusters, like he talks about how a lot of these clusters happen in certain months. And I looked at some of the times that he listed and it's always like summertime. Like, oh, a lot of people go missing in the summer in national parks. Okay. There's more people in national parks yeah. in the summer. And I think the thing is, and he always makes a lot, he goes out of his way to point out, like, this was a, a very fit person and who, who would who would know better than to do something like this. But I think the thing is, like, people make stupid mistakes all the time. You know, like, the, the most well-trained people can fuck up and fall off the side of a cliff or get lost. So I, I feel like he tends to exaggerate things sometimes or downplay mm-hmm. things to fit this pattern that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And there have been a couple of discrepancies pointed out. And I, I think a really good case of the way he, he kind of massages the information to make it fit the narrative better. I mentioned in the Dennis Martin case, there was a record of Green Berets being called in to search for the kid. He, he says that there was no records found of who called them, where they came from or anything. But there was actually a record someone found that someone from the park services called them in. Mm-hmm. So he made this big deal like, yeah, it's really weird that the Green Berets showed up and they came out here and were doing all this shit. But they actually were called in and did cooperate and all this stuff. So that was one of the interesting discrepancies I found online. And this one is kind of interesting. Uh, this is the case of a little kid named Jackie Hellman who went missing in 1941. Uh, he was a six-year-old. So what, I ha- what I'm going to read right now is Politis's account from the Where Did the Road Go podcast, where he talks about this case. And then I'm going to read to you a news article about about it, taken from a newspaper. And I actually found the newspaper online, like a copy of it, like scanned in. So Politis had this to say about it. They found him curled up under a tree. He took his coat off and put it around his dog. And the searchers said Jackie's body was so warm that it could have melted the snow around him. We talk about people taking their clothes off. Jackie took his coat off, but also searchers said that his body was super warm. Now, why would his body be really warm? What did he go through that caused the elevation in his own temperature? And he was so warm that he was concerned about his dog. He had a weird stride that they talked about in the report where either he was being drugged or he was walking on his shoes in a strange way. So that's how Politis described this account. And this is uh, from the Ellensburg Daily Record from January 3rd, 1941. Apparently, the boy suffered no serious effects, despite the fact that the temperature was low during most of the time he was lost, and although he had removed his coat to wrap it around the puppy, he was chilled to the bone and drugged by exhaustion when aroused, and dropped off to sleep again almost at once, but not before he told his rescuers, if I had gone much further, I guess I'd have been lost. The men who found him had followed his tracks in the dark for more than three hours through the five inches of snow which lay in patches on the hill. 
His trail at the end gave mute testimony to the fact that he was dead tired. His feet dragged through the snow, and the tracks wobbled from side to side. The heat of his body, when he lay down under the bush, melted the snow away around him. Stiff from cold, the boy couldn't walk when found, and with the help of Jimmy, Jimmy McDonald and Ernest Shoreman, the men who found him, carried him back over the long miles until he was picked up and taken the last of the way on horseback. So you can see there, that was a pretty straightforward thing where, you know, it's just mentioned that he had been sitting in the snow and it melted around him. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, like he was, after looking at his trail for hours, it started to get weird, like he was staggering kind of because he was so cold. Now, Politis kind of, you could see he kind of spun those facts into something different. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. he was really hot, like extremely warm, and he was walking in a really strange way. So... You know, that's one of the things. So if he did it for that, who's to say how trustworthy his his interpretations of these facts are? Yeah. It seems like he's trying to fit, you know, a narrative that, like, these are really weird. Yeah, exactly. You can't explain them. And there's another factor that also I find a little bit sketchy about Politis. He was a law enforcement officer for, he says, for 20 years. Uh, He worked on the SWAT team. I think he did a bunch of undercover operations and stuff and you could find records that this really he really did this he says he left after 20 years when he was still on the force he was offered a high-paying job in technology and finished out his 20 years and then went to that line of work and then because of his investigative skills he was offered money to go try to prove evidence of bigfoot and stuff and that's how he got into this line of work However, an article that somebody dug up from the December 21st or 1996 issue of the San Jose Mercury News points out that an officer named David Politis was issued an arrest warrant after it turned out he was using police department stationery to solicit celebrity autographs, claiming they were for a non-existent charity organization. Shady. Yeah, very shady. And then further follow-ups from municipal court minutes uh, claims that Politis was awarded a deferred vested retirement, which is you're given a retirement settlement if you meet certain conditions. Now, the thing about that is that the, the the report minutes come from 2011, and he initially, like, this is supposed to have happened in 1996, so I don't know what the deal is with that. But it's just interesting that a police officer in his area, and the people who kind of defend him online say, well, you know, it could have been somebody else with the same name. Which, I mean, David Politis is not that common of a name. Yeah, yeah. And they will, while defending his his theories and stuff for Missing 411, will go out of their way to defend weird coincidences, but something as clear-cut as a guy on the police force where he worked with his name was arrested, or was issued an arrest warrant or whatever. So I, I thought that was something kind of shady about him. And now, one of the things that kind of initially made me feel like something weird is going on here is how he sells the books, the way he talks about them and stuff. Every interview you listen to with this guy, and I've listened to a lot at this point uh, since I first got into this over the summer, he always mentions how you need to read all the books. He says, you know, to really get an understanding of like the breadth of this, you have to you have to really go and get all these books and read them. The books, I've looked for them on Amazon. So if you look these books up on Amazon, they sell for like $75. Uh, which is Like new? Like resellers, not new. Okay. Politis says he doesn't sell to Amazon for some reason. He says to buy the books from his website and don't buy off of Amazon because they're scalpers. They're just resellers. And he, he, if it seems like people are buying suspicious amounts of books, 
he won't sell them to them because he knows they're just going to resell them on Amazon, which just seems really fucking weird to me that you won't sell on Amazon when people are clearly buying your books. And the, the books, I think, retail for like $25. Mm. So I don't understand why he wouldn't take action about that. And, you know, some people who discredit him on the internet claim, and I have, there's no, I didn't find any evidence supporting this, but they think that he is secretly scalping the books on Amazon, which is why he won't sell on Amazon. Uh... Now, if you do order from the website, it's $25. But from what I understand, shipping prices are very exorbitant, like ridiculously expensive. Um, I almost ordered one of the books because I was tired of waiting and I wanted to discuss it for the podcast. But yeah, so something seems kind of shady about that. And then there's the fact that he talks about how this is really important. This is information that needs to get out there to the world. He sells a map of the clusters. He, there's like a reproduction of it in the book, but it's really tiny and grainy and really weird. But this is like, mm. a, I think, a 36 by 24 inch map that it's a reproduction of all of his clusters up to, I think, like the last couple of years or something, which he sells for like $13 plus the exorbitant shipping fee. And it's really interesting. It just seems counterintuitive to me that like he thinks this is really inf- important information that needs to get out there. He he urges people to talk to the National Forest Services and and talk about the how these disappearances are happening. But he's not really good at getting the information out there. His website right, is right. terrible. It's it's the Can-Am Missing Project, <laughs> which is the organization that he is a part of with other people apparently that he works on gathering information for these but it's like the worst website i've seen in a really fucking long time Mm -hmm. on top of that to buy the books it doesn't even he doesn't even sell them from the can-am missing website he sells them from his bigfoot website north america bigfoot search definitely sketchy you know people have asked him you know well why don't you just sell from other places and you know like and he says they already have the setup for it. He doesn't want to get into it. He's put too much work into the investigative side to not do this. And, you know, people have asked him a lot of like, hey, man, why don't you sell ebooks of these? Like, they would go crazy. And he, his excuse was, you know, there's like five different types of ebooks out there. I don't have the time to mess with that to get into it. But I, it, it, the whole thing seems kind of fishy to me. And, like, on one hand, dude is clearly doing a lot of work and, and doing, you know, this and and wants to get mm-hmm. paid to do it which is understandable but at at the same time it just sure. the whole thing kind of strikes me as a little bit weird yeah yeah why are you gonna sell this on your big like yeah i sell this on your bigfoot page it doesn't make any sense yeah and he seems to at this point he seems to get upset when people talk about bigfoot to him uh he he wants to distance himself from it you know he says that he was hired by some people to use his investigative skills to try to prove the existence of Bigfoot, which culminated in him finding DNA and getting it examined and stuff. And and, and the, the reports that I found on that were not great. They weren't published in peer-reviewed journals and, sure. you know, geneticists who actually looked at it were like, this is nonsense. So he apparently moved on to this now. So it's it's really weird and interesting. Uh, and I kind of think that Politis's refusal to comment on what he thinks is behind this is kind of an ingenious way to sell more books, you know? Sure. It's that, you know, that that H.P. Lovecraft quote, and I'm paraphrasing completely here because I'm drawing a blank here, the greatest fear is the fear of the unknown. So I think selling these books where he's not spelling anything out, just giving you these weird facts is 
I, I mean, it 100% did it to me, like it, it caught my imagination. And I think about this a lot. And, you know, I was thinking about this when I went camping down in like uh, southwestern Washington over the summer by myself in a national forest. I was thinking about this shit the whole time, like, oh, man, like, this is so creepy. <laughs> so I think he's onto something with that. But at the same time, it feels a little disingenuous and almost a little bit disrespectful to the actual survivors of the people yeah. who have disappeared here. And I, I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I, I think it can go either way if he is willfully doing this or if he actually believes it. People believe stuff. And we've talked about this before in previous episodes. You know, people definitely are willing to believe things if that's what they want to believe. So there's mm-hmm. a very a good chance that David Politis actually believes this stuff and, you know, is doing this stuff thinking that it's legit. Right. So, yeah, it's all very interesting and... I, I really recommend, I could talk about this for a while longer. I see we're running a little bit long on time here, but there's just, this is really, if you're in, if this stuff interests you at all, definitely dig into it. Especially, please, please, please look it, look it up on Reddit. People's theories about this stuff are just fucking great. It's just <laughs> such good shit. So I mentioned, I, I kind of went and said that I don't think that there's anything paranormal about these cases, but little simulated wingnut Josh in a box Sure, sure. Has a theory. What is it? Fairies. All right. This is the fair folk, dog. The good people. It's them. It has it written all over this. I am a really big buff on old fairy folklore, as you well know. And a lot of this stuff does sync up very nicely to cases. You know, stuff like young men going missing. Those are really common in, in fairy tales. Uh, berries are one of the, the, the big things in folk fairy folklore and stuff. So that's the, the, the wingnut who secretly believes in all this thinks that it's fairies. All right. There is another interesting thing. There was recently some drama between David Politis and an author named Steph Young, uh, who's a British author, because people claimed that Steph Young was plagiarizing David Politis. Oh. Apparently, the drama has been quelched. Politis doesn't think that's the case. I think there might still be some animosity between, like, followers of david politis sure and i came across steph young's books because you know when over the summer when i was trying to find any missing 411 stuff without shelling out a bunch of money uh, i came across some of steph young's books she sells ebooks on amazon for you know like four or five dollars or whatever and a lot of her stories are actually about similar things they're you know people going missing in the woods and stuff and her books i got one book called i think something in the woods is taking people it was interesting because a david politis is i think a better writer and a better speaker than her for sure Mm -hmm. so he he puts an interesting spin on it but b steph young is not afraid to say maybe it's this maybe it's that you know maybe it's invisible airborne creatures stealing people plucking them up out of the sky you know maybe it's demons maybe it's this i could kind of and at the time i thought like oh she's kind of knocking off david politis a little bit even though she she's one of these people i think who writes a book a month and self-publishes and stuff so she's got a shit ton Mm. of books about various paranormal topics but yeah her stuff is interesting because it's kind of like she takes the missing 411 thing and actually talks about some of the cases and everything but isn't afraid to speculate and say what's happening yeah so that's missing 411 in a nutshell and the mysterious disappearances i i was thinking about you during some of this Okay. Because I was thinking about that time. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe you as a very wildery dude. No. You're not a big outdoorsman. And 
No. Through a lot of this, I was thinking of that time that we took that cross-country trip when you were moving out to California. Mm. And uh, we stayed on Antelope Island in Utah, which is an island yeah. in the Great Salt Lake with a bunch of mm. antelope on it. Like a herd of antelope that live wild on this island. And you were scared of the antelope. <laughs> you, you were... A no. <laughs> I... I'm not a big outdoors person. I didn't know what to expect. And I heard a coyote. Okay. Or, no, was that antelope? It was the antelope. I'm pretty sure you were scared of the antelope. Probably. And I think we were lying to you and saying that, like, there were coyotes around and that they were not afraid to run up to your tent and shit. So I, I think we were egging it on, but... That's great. Great friends. Through all the research I've been doing on this, I keep thinking about you being scared in a tent. Dude, if I stayed, if I was in the wilderness for any length of time, I would definitely go missing, and you'd find pieces of me in a couple of weeks. Probably. You know, I was thinking about how when you come out here in a short time and we hang out, we were talking about going out to the Olympic Peninsula, which is, I think, one of the clusters for David Politis missing 411. Uh-huh. I was thinking about trying to find a Bigfoot hunt for us to go on. Oh, please. <laughs> would you be interested in that? hells yeah i will record the whole thing i think they're probably really expensive and i haven't found anything that's just a single overnight but i'll I'll look into it (laughs) oh my god that would be so ridiculous (laughs) if we find a bigfoot what if we got famous yo that would really blow the podcast up it's really the that would get those downloads (laughs) so yeah that's it you have any thoughts any dude this shit's it's creepy but it's like i don't think there's you know it's got to be yeah okay you could say oh it must be aliens but also you could say like it must be people getting lost in the woods and falling to their deaths and dying clearly all this weird shit and i mean you know correlation is not causation like there are a lot of factors in these cases that are all similar but that doesn't mean that that they're the cause of it that doesn't mean they're linked to the disappearances they're just you know factors and since politis has admitted that he's going through these cases and self-selecting like you know he's picking the cases that have these things and right sure they're all there but yeah it it, to me it, it seems like a much more realistic explanation is that there's something natural happening here but definitely makes for a creepy story though it's it's super creepy and yeah there's there's some great stuff uh also real quick shout out look up staircases in the woods everybody there's a whole reddit thread about that which is fictional but it, it's has eerie eerie similarities to this so that's a really fun mm. thing that's a if you're looking for like just a, a creepy hole to fall into one night and late night interneting look up staircases in the woods it's super fun and creepy shit sounds so, good yeah yeah this was super creepy yeah definitely this is one of my big obsessions for sure i'm glad i finally got to talk about it on the show <laughs> well maybe we can make this a series where you talk about more like disappearing stuff i would like that well speaking of disappearing dennis i think that's all the time we have for this call i, w- I can't wait to walk in the woods with you i know they're gonna find your dead body in a boulder field and find your dead body in a bo- hey hey bye everybody bye Thanks for listening to another episode of Best Friend Simulator. Send us an email at joshanddennis at gmail.com. That's Dennis with one N. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best Friend Simulator. And thanks to Alan for the theme music. Listen to his podcast, Werewolf Ambulance, and Marveling at Marvel's Marvels. Also, thanks to Justin for the artwork. See more of his stuff at burntobuild.com. 
that's all the time we have for this outro. Bye. Bye.